Before we start the show, I just wanted to reach out and say that if you are loving listening to The Truth Prescription as much as we are loving making it, please subscribe to the podcast. Hit that subscribe button. Rate and review us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and iHeartRadio, to name a few. And come check us out at www.thetruthprescription.com to get more insights and info, because the truth will set you free if you let it. I have reconciled this reality in the landscape that spans my thoughts. But when one observes the flora and the fauna flourishing, there is no longer reason to hide in place. So I must yield to my own nature. I must mark this season of new growth before the tundra threatens to return. For it is deserved and I am deserving. Give them their flowers while they're alive, as the kids would say. Gentlemen and ladies, brothers and sisters, people, whoever you are and wherever you are, welcome to the Truth Prescription Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sekou Gathers, and each week I interview successful people from around the world and discuss how accepting the truth can propel your career and help you live a life of gusto and purpose. No mantras, no gimmicks, just the truth. So close your eyes and open your ears, and let's get into this. Come on. Good people, welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. Today, I interviewed scholar and poet Obina Obello. Uh, Not only is he a professional writer and author of a new book entitled Memories of the Future, but he's also a vice president at a major corporate bank here in New York. His truth was talked about the importance of knowing your strengths and articulating your needs. And that's both in the corporate environment and also artistically as a poet. We talked about what he likes about performing and sort of the process of creation when talking about creating new new work, new artwork. And I also challenged him to see if he would leave the corporate world and do professional writing full time. And his answer might surprise you. So I hope you guys enjoy the interview. Close your eyes and open your ears and let's do it. Good people. Welcome back. Another episode of the Truth Prescription Podcast. I am your humble host, Dr. Sekou Gathers. And today I am talking to Mr. Obana Chimoabim Obio. What's up, sir? How are you doing, Sekou? Good. You, when you say it, it's smooth. When I say it, it's choppy. So I want you to say it so the people know the exact pronunciation. Obina Chima Obim Obilo. There you go. Everybody calls me Obi though, so that's, that's, Obi. The, uh, that's the that's the, easy, that's the easy way to get around it. But uh, listen, I understand, man. <laughs> My having the name say Coolio has always been a challenge. And as you said in something else you had written, it doesn't as easily roll off people's tongues. So it's just one of those things. But it makes for a nice conversation piece, though, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I names have that power and that tendency. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. So Obi was raised, born and raised in Montreal. Uh, he is a professional writer and poet, author of the recently dropped Memories of the Future, which um, I'm I'm calling a poetic treatise on self discovery. And uh, he's also, uh, by the way, a uh, vice president of a major corporate bank here in New York. So, uh, you know, I love having these type of folks on who are um, artistic and nerdish. That can be a show, a you know, blackish nerdish. And, uh, 
you know, because I'm a true believer that we were given two sides of, of two, two uh, brain hemispheres for a reason, um, right and left, and um, we should use both. And uh, we all have the ability to create. It's just about, you know, how much of it you want to nurture. So, Obi, welcome. Listen, I'd like you to actually start off with maybe a short poem from the book, Memories of the Future, uh, before we jump into the truth prescription, just to give folks a taste of, you know, your art. There's something maybe that's uh, apropos to truth. Uh, certainly. I, I think um, there's a piece I'll read. It's called Day 70, okay. uh, Writer's Block. This really encapsulates in many ways the, the truth of returning to my writing self and rediscovering that, that, that passion and that energy. So I'll, I'll just get into it. I feel renewed. Stories I have wanted to share for many years are finally resurfacing and spilling forth. Ideas are being nurtured, tended to. What has sprung wild with promise is finally being manicured. For not every season of hibernation is of equal length. Some endeavor to never relent. I have reconciled this reality in the landscape that spans my thoughts. But when one observes the flora and the fauna flourishing, there is no longer reason to hide in place. So I must yield to my own nature. I must mark this season of new growth before the tundra threatens to return. For it is deserved and I am deserving. Give them their flowers while they're alive, as the kids would say. Let this book be a bouquet, a brief timestamp of this journey while it remains in full bloom. Nice. I like that. The bouquet. <laughs> Let this book be a bouquet. Let this book be a bouquet. It's nice rhythmically. Beautiful, man. So um, look, let's jump right in, man. As you know, and as my listeners know, the truth prescription, prescription is about exploring the truth. It's about exploring those lies that we've told ourselves for so many years. The breakthroughs that happen when we accept the truth. Talk to the people about something in your life, either personally or professionally, that um, was a truth that you either ignored or weren't aware of. And once you accepted it, you were able to break through in, in certain ways or so many ways. You know, one of the things that I have come to be better at defining and understanding, and this is actually in a professional context, is just how important having advocacy and agency is to your career success. I mean, there are a lot of talented, hardworking people who end up getting mired and in a lot of ways can end up being discouraged by the circumstances that they find themselves in, not really being in an environment where you are given room to grow, room to succeed, or the proper, the proper appreciation for the contributions that you're bringing to, to an organization at a very micro level, the exact team that you're on, or more broadly uh, across an organization. And so what I've become much better at articulating myself, uh, as well as when I speak to other people, is really understanding and making sure that you have the advocates in place that are going to help you get to the places you want to go in your career. I think that's probably one of the most important things that I have come to find and that's been the most helpful for me, especially, I would say, in the last going on almost 10 years of my career in, in financial services. Can you give the people an example, a specific story where that happened or where that's happening? Uh, 
I think, you know, my, my current role at the current bank that I'm at, uh, I, joined, I joined the organization just shy of four years ago. They reached out to me. I actually had no idea that, that they were looking. It was not specifically something that was on my radar. Apparently, my, my best friend had sent my resume to a contact at the bank. And they reached, and this was in, he had done this in, in February and they reached out to me in about July of 2016. And I came in and I interviewed the middle of August and they had extended an offer to me. And at the time I was living in Atlanta and I'm, I actually grew up in New Jersey and, and, and the job is located in New York city, but I was not living in the area. So, you know, there were a couple of things that didn't feel exactly right at that time to make the move and make that jump. And I let it be known that even though I think this is a great fit and it's a great relationship, what's being said up front about the role that you see me playing in this organization is great. There are a couple of things that just didn't feel right to make the move because I didn't want to put myself behind the eight ball. And I articulated that to them Hmm. and turned down the offer initially. Hmm. Bold and beautiful. I mean, sometimes you have to do it. And, yeah. and I think, that, you know, you don't I didn't I didn't want to go into that new role already feeling some type of way about if the organization was going to be willing to take care of me and take care of my interests. Yep. I mean, I, yeah. I didn't want I didn't want to bring that kind of negative energy to a new opportunity, especially when there was nothing that was forcing me out of my prior role. You know, it was just I was looking for an opportunity to grow. Right. Then they came back to me in November of the same year and they said, listen, we've had this role open for months and months. The people within the bank have asked, have you found somebody that you want for this role? And they said, yeah, there's this guy, Obina, we want him. <laughs> in Atlanta. <laughs> and, you know, so, you know, they came back to me and they said, hey, all those things that you had articulated to us that you would need for you to feel comfortable and happy to join us, if we can make those things all happen would you be willing to reconsider your decision Hmm. that you had made previously? I said, yes, almost immediately. And I joined in December of 2016. That was quick. quick. 30 days. They hit you in November. You were there in December. Super quick. I, I I left my old role. I moved back up to the East coast or the Northeast rather. Can you say what though, or, or allude to what those things were that were sort of in your initial ask that made you turn down and then they came back and said, sure, we can, we can meet that. Maybe it was compensation, but were there some other specific things you were looking for? Really? It was, it was timing and and compensation. Okay. Okay. So those are, those are the the two, the two (laughs) things that, yeah, I didn't want the decision to feel rushed, you know, even to, to give you a little more context to how comfortable I was in Atlanta the day that, that they had reached out to me about this opportunity, like literally it would have been maybe 1030. And then they called me at, at, at 12 o'clock. The, the, what happened at, at 1030 was I had just signed a lease for, for, for a new apartment. <laughs> so so I, had, I, had, I literally had no intention of going anywhere. Wow. Okay. So interesting. And so then you made that move. What you said initially, the, the truth that you discovered was the importance of Really what it sounds like is mentorship and being able to articulate that in, in, a, in a corporate role, really. Can you talk a little bit about, and I don't know if, if this is getting too granular, but can you talk a little bit about the difference or the nuance of wanting mentorship, wanting guidance, not wanting to be marginalized, 
and at the same time, not looking for someone to save you. Because you can get, you can kind of get into this thing where you look at the corporation and the people in it as sort of large figures that are going to help you go somewhere versus still sort of having some internal power, internal drive and focus. I think the example is one that we all live with or identify and never really spend a lot of time thinking about. Most of the CEOs of all, especially in financial services, all the big banks and certainly all the firms always had a champion in those ranks to identify them as top tier talent that could reach the executive level and to help position them to get there. Mm. And in certain cases, it is the alignment with those individuals that preceded them that allowed those, you know, those folks that are leaders to immediately be, be identified and say, okay, this is someone I want to have on my team. I respect him or her, the work that they bring. I'm willing to put my political, my firm equity behind that person. So I don't look at it at all. And I think sometimes we need to think about reframing it. I don't look at it at all as some kind of need to be saved. I I think it is really about understanding how do you articulate your value and are there people that are around within the context of the organization that appreciate your narrative, where you are, where you want to go and are willing to stand behind you. Because at the end of the day, all of us have some level of of equity that we bring to every space that we're in. And you know, in your, in your life, and I'm sure many of the listeners know, I know in my own experiences, that there are certain people who reach out to you and whatever they ask for, they're, they're going to they're gonna get from you. Mm. They're, you know, if, if it's a favor, if you, yeah. you need, they, they need you to carry some boxes to help them move, you're going to do that. If they need a job recommendation, or, or you know, they're going to do that. And there are other people, conversely, who if they reach out, you may have to put some 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 filters and some blocks up to let it be known that, listen, you either haven't earned that equity or you have squandered <laughs> the equity that I have previously chosen to expend on you. Or I have seen you squander it in other opportunities and other spaces, mm. and I am not in a position to use the equity that I have on you potentially failing me again. Cause that all, all it is, it all comes back to you. Correct. I mean, when we, a lot of people who, who are known for bringing people into their firms and you know, this happened in my case, you need other people to sometimes let you know, okay, this is, this is somebody I'm going to, I can, I can put, put, you know, some weight behind. And so the good thing, you know, for the person who brought me into my role, I would think that, since I have now done very well, you know, over the course of the last four years in the bank, it looks good on him. Right. And it continues to look good on him because he has also done his job of finding and identifying talent. That's right. something that's only hit that, that's, that, that's a, a building block for him. He knows how to find talent consistently and bring them into the organization. You talking about Mr. V? Uh, yes. Yes, Mr. I am. V. Okay. We're just going to keep it at Mr. V. The reason I bring that up is because I'm working with a client now in my coaching practice who's in the corporate world, and his issue has been he's gotten either, I will call them rabbis, have brought him in, and then they left. And then once they left, his role now became 
he became basically expendable and slowly got, you know, sort of moved out. And that happened in two different corporate situations. So that's what we're kind of working on, how to navigate, being aware of who you are, where you are, and how to sort of, you know, play the game and position yourself so that you can, you know, you can, you can succeed. Cool. Well, that's a, that's a great one. Let's jump into some questions here. Let's, I'll take it all the way away from, uh, from the corporate world. What's your favorite part of performing? My favorite part of performing poetry is the space in between when I first start in my head and before the words come out. I think there's a, there's a lot of serenity there. And then the moment, and then, and then followed by the moment when I finish, because there's a sense of relief. Mm. In between, I'm just, I, I tend to be in the zone. You know, I, you know, before I used to do a lot more, uh, you know, I would be at spoken word venues. And so you get the energy from the crowd. You know, people would snap, people would be like, mm, you know, like, yeah, they, <laughs> right, like at church, right. And, you feel, and I guess you feel it. But honestly and truly, sometimes you're just so into the piece that, like, I mean, people could be booing you if they wanted to. And, and, and you know, that would be just fine. It's, you know, I, I think it is all because every stage, every opportunity is, is, is unique in its own way, even when you've recited something countless times. So it's really just the relief of being able to bring that message to that audience. And I find the piece, the most piece about it right before I start. When I know I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna give a piece of myself mm. to the to the audience, and then after I've actually I've actually completed it. Hmm. It's interesting that the wordplay with performing a piece and giving a piece of yourself. <laughs> yeah, unintended. But no, yes, unintended. That is it's unintended poetry, but you're a poet, so that's what happens. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Things just flow. I sort of feel similarly. I've 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 performed before, but not. Like I've done poetry in the past, a hundred years ago in med school, I've done, you know, some, some events, but it has, it's been a long time, but I can appreciate that from writing kind of like that process of when I start and I just put everything out on the page. And as I go back and put, so I always put everything out on the page, no grammar, no editing. And then I go back and prune it. But that initial mm. part, to your point, there's something uh, transform. I don't even call it transformational. Transcendental is probably a better word that happens in that moment where you're almost like a vessel. You know, you're doing it, but you're really a vessel uh, in terms of the, the creative process. So that's beautiful. And, and I think for, for me, specifically in the context of being a writer, one of the things or, or some of the things that I've just found through that process is just that it allows me to walk with purpose. It allows me to be open to criticism and especially criticism from myself, because I already know that the first time I write something down, I'm scribbling notes or I'm typing them out or I, I'm making a, you know, like a note in my phone, it's never going to be finished. And I appreciate that. And I give myself the room to say, listen, I need to just get the thoughts out. And I know that I'm going to have a chance to grow with whatever this is and embrace that by my very nature of being a writer, I'm infallible. But I, there's room to allow myself to get better and hopefully arrive at a place where, again, like coming back to that, the, the concept where, where I feel at peace mm -hmm. with the writing. Yeah. You know, I feel at peace with myself, with what, with, with the message I'm trying to convey. 
If you could be a professional writer full time, would you leave the corporate world? That's a very interesting question. <laughs> and it's very interesting because it's been, a you know, just to even give a little bit of context to the audience. This is my second book. And my first book I wrote in 2004, right after I'd finished undergrad. And so it's been a long time since I've written a book and really since I've written poetry. And there's a lot of people who don't know me in the context of writing. And so I never really thought about coming back to writing. So, you know, this question has come up in some ways, like if, if the book could grow to something where it's, you know, would I basically throw myself in, in, into, into being a writer full time? Separate even from let's, the, the book, let's say the book maybe doesn't meet your expectation, but things happen and occur in such a way that it looks like even just financially, you might be able to maintain yourself just on writing. Would you, would you do that? The short answer is no. I think that my mind is too restless. <laughs> and, <laughs> and my mind is too restless and I, and I need... I, I need the, the the challenge of being able to excel in all the things that I know that I've identified being good at. And even that is something that I had, I've had to become better at verbalizing that, okay. Hey, I'm good at these things and not be shy or ashamed by saying I'm nice, you know, to be able to say, to, say, to, say to tell the audience, what are you nice at? Tell the audience. Listen, I, whether it comes to, you know, writing, the pen game is nice, you know, from a, from a work standpoint, a leadership standpoint, I, I have a very sharp analytical mind. I like to say I'm a polyglot. I, I have done a lot of work, charity work. I've done even events, <laughs> a, a bit of a renaissance man, if you will. And, and I think it's, it's, fair to, it's fair to be able to say that and present, and present that because I have always lived and walked in many different worlds and been able to, to communicate with many different people. I've, you know, I, I like to say, you know, sometimes I'm a chameleon. And so part of being a chameleon is to be able to present yourselves in different environments. So I think I would need to be able to still articulate and do very important things in the context of financial services. And then there's room in my personal life to continue to be a writer and continue to explore you know, those concepts. Cause I think it's also important to be able to bring that side of myself and the way I think and operate into the work environment because it differentiates myself from other people. Do you think you could still be your best self and still be great at all those things you listed outside of the corporate environment? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I think that, I think yes. that invariably I'd be able to find a home outside, outside of Entrepreneurship corporate America. Or, yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, like many different ways. My, my, my dad is a doctor, but he's also an entrepreneur. He has several practices. My, my one brother is an entrepreneur. He's actually never worked for anybody. My middle brother, uh, he's never worked for anybody else in his life. Again, I, I think part of that is just being able to, to, to put in the work. I'm, I'm willing, to, I'm willing to, to, to grind and do the work. So if it wasn't in the context of, of financial services, if, you know, God forbid, you know, the, the opportunity dried up or something happened with the markets, I would need to be able to position myself to to succeed. And, and I, I think I have the skill set uh, to be able to do that, you know, inside of financial services, outside of financial services, certainly. Right. Yeah. I mean, the point I'm, tr I'm really trying to make 
and also for the people that are listening is that who you are as a person, those special gifts that you have, you have them. Like you, it, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be like Tom Hanks and, you know, and, and cast away on an island mm-hmm. by yourself. You're still going to have those talents. And um, that's what really makes entrepreneurs successful. They're able to take the things that they have intrinsically powerful f- to them and then create value in the marketplace. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to just wanted to make that point. Okay, cool. So let's let's jump into the book a little bit. I love the title. How can one have a memory of the future, right? When I was thinking about it, it's like, well, deja vu is kind of like <laughs> memories of the present, you know, right? But what is memories of the future? Let's talk about just that title and uh, where you what you were trying to say with that. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the title is a paradox in and of itself. You're, you're absolutely right. In, in, in a sense, you cannot have a memory that of a time that has not yet existed. However, you know, one of the interesting things uh, as I hold up the, the, the book is that the cover art for the book is a picture of it's almost it's somewhat meta. It's a it's a picture of me present day, if you will. Uh, and I guess even still technically it's past tense, holding a picture of myself when I was three years old. And one of the things I, I, I thought about when I brought that cover art to life was at three years old, you're not really aware of, of what can be, all, you know, all the things you can be, but you would hope that somewhere along the lines, you are able to make that version of a younger version of yourself proud of what you've become. And, and for me, when I think about the, the book conceptually, one of the things that I come back to is time, which is then again reflected in in, in the title, multiple, multiple ways, if you will, from the fact that uh, a memory and also just reflection on, on, on the future. And so for me, the, you know, it's really about how do you think about and contend with your past? How do you reconcile where you are in the present? And what are your hopes and dreams for yourself in the future? Understanding that you're never going to fully realize every vision that you have for that future, but but hopefully that that whatever you become in of your future self makes your old self proud. Right. And, or, or even even beyond that, that you are comfortable and that you've given yourself the grace to be who you have become in the moments that you're living. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking about the book from the standpoint of that little three year old that could be memories of the future, right? Because he's, mm. he's there, but he's also you, right? So, yes. so, so it's like both, you know, both entities in, holding the same space at the same time, you could have yes. a memory of the future. It's almost like he's looking at you saying, hey, what's up? Like, you, you're doing it. Exactly. You're doing it. You, exactly. And, and that's the thing is, <laughs> you, you hope, and it's very interesting, right? Because, here you're looking at, at at a three-year-old version of yourself, but when you but again the, the the cover art is is actually a picture of me looking at the three-year-old version of right. yourself. Right. And you you know in a way it's, it's exactly to your point. You hope that you can that that three-year-old you know is looking back at you and saying, "Yo, good job." <laughs> right. <you."> right. Exactly. Because <laughs> that three-year-old, I mean, you you said earlier as a as a three-year-old, you don't really have an idea of what you could be, but the truth is, you really do because. And I don't want to get too like scientific, but you know, uh, when we're 
when we become fertilized, you know, when this sperm hits the egg, you have all these cells that are basically what's called pluripotent. And basically what that means is that one cell can become anything. It can become any, it can become any organ. That one little cell can become a liver. It can become your, your gut, anything. And I really feel like that's the same thing with little, with, with children. It's like, there's so much potential. The potential is here, you know, with kids. It's huge. They can be anything. And a lot of them believe they can be. Like when I look in my, my daughter's eyes, they, they feel like they can do anything, you know, at that age. And what happens is life kind of messes with you and you have these different experiences that, you know, give you all these interjects and all this craziness. Some of the clients I work with that have gone through trauma. And then you have to sort of dig out from that and then remember that three-year-old like, oh, yeah, I remember when I was that age. It's funny you talking about this. I'm going to throw this since you had your picture. I'll throw this picture up on the screen. I remember when I was that age. And everything that was possible. You know what I mean? Like, look at that kid. Yeah. Look at that kid. Everything. <laughs> this guy was like, look, I can do anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? That was, that's me. He's like, I could do anything. That's me at like maybe four or five. So I think it's, it's an important point. Just that whole idea of time and the shifting of time. You know, there's some philosophers that say time is really, you know, a man-made construct. And they point to the idea, like if let's say you have a, a memory of something that happened to you 10 years ago and you really start getting to that memory, you actually feel those same feelings you felt 10 years ago, like you were there. Right. So where's the time? You know, it's, it's, you know, people like, it felt like I was right there, but it's beautiful, man. It's like an ode and a nod to that part of ourselves in its purest form. When we, when we were really in our purest, most powerful form at those young ages, when we were sort of unfettered and just, you know, uh, untarnished, you know, by life. Yeah, I mean, those, and again, I think one of the, the, the points you made earlier was just, you're kind of innately you the entire time. You know, I think you're, you, you're just looked at a photo of yourself when you were four or five. I looked at a picture of myself and it's very surprising in certain ways how like you can look at someone's like baby pictures and be like, yeah, you kind of, I mean, you're not, you don't look exactly the same, but you're definitely like, I definitely see that that was you. Right. And, and that's sort of just, you know, from a, from a, you know, a, a, a physiological standpoint, but I think even just your, from character standpoint, of course, life experiences change, changes people uh, and, and, and how they view the world. But I, I certainly would hope that, you know, if, if I was, always intend I, I was always intended to be a person who was willing to give back and share and be open and warm and that I was already giving evidence to that at a very early age and that I hopefully have continued to do that and, and hopefully will continue to, to do that uh, in, in the years to come. A lot of times with you know some of the folks that I work with they were like that, like those pictures we showed and they had a traumatic event. The work becomes recapturing that spark that was there, mm-hmm. you know, in that moment. Let's talk about this skills. What skills and I'll say slash mindset that you have in the corporate world that you can extrapolate over to being an author and vice versa? I think the primary skill that resonates in both places is the ability to observe a situation, observe what needs to be corrected or, you know, how things need to be presented. And then to be able to make a compelling case to other people that your vision is 
the right approach or the right trajectory that folks need to go on. Mm. And so when I am presenting ideas to my colleagues, again, it's about my analytical mindset, you know, but also being persuasive enough and being consistent enough that I've built up the cachet that one, sometimes they don't even need to question me or they, they already just assume, all right, if OB is saying something, he probably knows what he's talking about. He's, he's, he's saying this such a way, he's presenting information and facts that underscore the point that he's trying to make. And so it's a compelling case. Maybe we don't go in that direction, but I always know that he's not going to give you a foolish effort or something that's not well thought out. And I think the way I write my poetry, you know, I'm always looking to or pointing to specific messages and I think in that way, I also am able to make a very compelling case to the people who read my poetry that the things I care about are things that should be of concern. Mm. Yeah, it's like coming from the heart, basically. You got to be earnest. Cool. Now, you, I noticed um, you didn't go to Amazon Kindle route. Talk, talk about that. you self-publishing. We'll get into where people can get the book from, but talk about your decision to do that. The decision to not do, not go the Amazon route is just one of timing. I actually will likely get the book up on Amazon okay. for distribution. But from a fulfillment standpoint, I wanted to be able to control the, you know, like the printing and everything else. And, and when I spoke to some other people, it just seemed like Amazon was going to take too much of a piece of the action. And it's not really a, a monetary thing, but for me, at the point where I am with, with the book, you know, this is a passion project. You know, I'm, I'm happy that in the midst of everything going on in the world and in the time that we're living in, this time of great uncertainty, that I was able to find a moment of clarity. And part of it has manifested through this book. Yeah. Um, and for me, I, I had the opportunity to say, all right, I'm able to do this. I know that poetry, it's a little bit harder to get a book deal. I'm not, I haven't really been in the poetry world all the way. And so being able to find an agent was going to take time and, you know, building it out. So it just made more sense for me to build it out on my platforms and leverage the fact that people know me, that I've, I've been making contributions socially, poetically, as, as, as someone who's been a pillar in various communities. And so it just made sense for me to try to go the independent route. Now, the question about the Kindle route, um, you know, that's interesting. I, I have not completed an audio book uh, before. No, well, audio uh, audio book is audible. Kindle, it, yeah. just, it just means, you know, it's just a, like the electronic. Oh, the e-reader. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Actually, no, the, 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 plan, the plan for the e-reader is actually something that I'm, I'm thinking about doing towards the latter half, uh, the, sorry, not the latter half, uh, towards the end of the year. Okay, uh, so there it's is in the works. Yeah, there's, there's someone I identified in Nigeria who's going to be able to do the e-reader stuff. It's very interesting. I was having a conversation with someone, and this is stuff I, don't, I didn't think about because most of the books I read, actually, I read them in physical form. You know, I, I had someone who was doing design work for the book, and she mentioned, well, I don't really do the e-reader stuff because you have to make sure that the books fall a certain way and or the pages fall a certain way, and they have to be specifically programmed. And I hadn't really thought about it. So I made some uh, uh, 
you know, made some inquiries and there is somebody that I do have uh, who can help me work on that, on that piece of it. Uh, but, you know, I'm going to take it in stages. Okay. All right. So tell, tell the people where they can find the book at and, um, you know, how they can connect with you. They want some more information. And hopefully when this pandemic situation adjusts itself, we'll be able to have some live interaction with folks. Yeah, certainly. And, and thank you again for uh, the opportunity to want to catch up again. For sure. uh, it's always good to, to be in the presence of, 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 of amazing minds that, that are giving back. But to, to, to focus on, on your question, my website is hashtag Igwe, the word hashtag Igwe spelled I-G-W-E dot com. So you can go to hashtag Igwe dot com to see the book or hashtag Igwe dot com back, backslash books. Uh, and that's the direct page where my uh, my uh, both my books are listed on social media. Uh, on Instagram, you can find me. Uh, my personal page is RSB the goat. And also my uh, my poetry page is hashtag Igwe. Hashtag spelled out. The word hashtag spelled out. Uh, and then you can also you know find me on email, hashtag Igwe at gmail.com. So nice. a lot of consistency with, with, with the that hashtag. Theme. What does e, Igwe mean? Igwe is like a king or, 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 or a titled person. Okay. So okay. I, 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 like, I like using hashtags. So. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, in, in, in the native language, the Igbo language in Nigeria, Igwe means king, and you know, so I, I just I had been using that that hash that 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 phraseology for a long time, and so when it came to you know having something to identify my my writing by, it, it was it was just a natural fit. People listening, if you go to the site, you click on the um, I think it's about tab. You should see this brother's the shoes, you know, the, these, these like blue suede loafers. I was like, whoa, this, I'm liking that. I'm liking that. The suit was the suit was great. But then I looked down. I was like, oh, OK, OK. Igwe, I see you, King. I see you. Oh, man. That was, yeah, I, I love, it's fresh. I appreciate fresh. that. I, yeah. I, I, love, I love those shoes. They, yeah. Every once in a while, I got to bust them out. Um, <laughs> I just did a photo shoot recently, so I got some new, uh, some 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 new uh, some new shots. And you know, before I went there, I was like, "All right, cool. I need to bring a couple of different outfits. Got to bring a couple of different pairs of shoes." It's like these are coming with me. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Check them out. They definitely they definitely say king for sure. All right, Obes. Listen, man. Uh, appreciate you coming on, letting the people know what you're working on, what you're doing, and um, the truth that you've gleaned in your life and I think it's really important for, for people to hear uh, stories like yours I will uh, sign off as I always do the truth will set you free if you let it <laughs>